Go with me to the Lord in prayer. Oh, dear precious Jesus. Lord, we love you. Help us love you more. Lord, help us to remember the good things in our life that you've done, the salvation you brought, the times you've healed body and soul and emotions, the time you've stood with us when no one else would, the time you gave us friends to surround us. There's something about that name, Jesus, and help us to remember it always. Be with us. Let us hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing in Acts. We're in chapter 4. Rather, can't do the whole chapter. We're going to talk about it, but we're going to look at verse 13 through 21. You can follow along with me. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they said. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must mourn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. In this book of Acts, it's, it's a tremendous book to read because we just see God moving, building His church, working in the lives of people, and this is one case that that happened. God is continuing to move in the hearts of the people of Jerusalem. The power of the Holy Spirit is undeniable. In chapter 3, Peter and John came across a beggar begging for alms. He had been crippled from birth and he relied on friends to carry him to the gate called Beautiful so that he could beg. Apparently by this time, by, he had completely given up on ever being healed and we would understand that. Unable to work, he sat at the gate where people came and he went hoping for kind hearts to give him money for food and other necessities of life. Peter and John walked by. They noticed the man looked straight at him, and Peter said, look at us. The man did look, expecting them to give him some alms. Instead, Peter continued, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Then Peter took him by the hand, strength entered his legs, and by the healing power of Jesus, the man was able to walk. They all walked into the temple. 
You can imagine the praising and joy of the man as he walked in. He had to be shouting, I can walk, I can walk, look at me. And the people recognized him. They would have walked by him all the time. Perhaps they gave him alms. Perhaps they gave him some food. They recognized him as the beggar at the gate beautiful. And they were amazed at his healing. There's a lot of important points we can glean from this passage. The two disciples came across a man in need of healing. He had never had the ability to walk. It says he was crippled from birth. And so his condition became normal for him. He accepted his state and he did what he could do to survive. There are people we know, and more we don't know, who in some way have an infirmity like this man had. But even more than that, we have people who have hearts that are unresponsive to God. They are crippled in their spirit. Then this is a normal state for them. They don't even know their need and their condition is normal as far as they're concerned. But like the crippled beggar, their condition isn't normal. They are cripples in need of healing. They don't know they are dead spiritually, but that they can have life. They don't know there is one who can heal their wounded soul. Like the beggar, they're doing what they know to do, working, earning money, trying to have a good life. But there's a hole, a God-shaped void in their lives that they're trying to fill with the different pleasures of this world. The things of this world, however, do not bring satisfaction. Some turn to harmful and even illegal self-treatment. They use narcotic drugs. They drink to excess. They seek relief in lustful pleasures. Others try to fill their void in more acceptable ways. They work hard to earn lots of money to have fine homes, fine clothes, and fine cars, but their materialism doesn't fill that void. They may look successful and accomplished on the outside, but many are hurting inside. Too often, eventually, their riches turn to ashes, and they too turn to the bottle or extramarital affairs. Their relationships crumble, and many seek comfort, sadly, and more and more these days we hear, by ending their life by their own hand. These people need a Peter or a John to give them the words of life. The townspeople who saw the crippled beggar healed were amazed and filled with wonder. After Peter and John explained that his healing came through the power of Jesus Christ, the one they had crucified in that very city, many, the Bible tells us, about 5,000 came to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. How sad it is that it is often and perhaps usually those who profess in God who are the fiercest critics. Peter and John were seized by the temple guards under the direction of the Sadducees and put in jail. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law, the Sanhedrin, it tells us, met and questioned Peter and John. Those who should have recognized the power of God resisted what they saw. And why? Probably because it threatened their comfort. It threatened their lofty position before the people. 
but they had a problem. They could not deny the crippled beggar was healed. The man was over 40 years old. Many knew him, and all who knew him knew he had been crippled from birth. His healing was not some coincidence of restoration after a temporary paralysis. Perhaps some had even carried him to his place in the gate and given him alms. They knew he was a lifelong cripple. And in addition, many people saw firsthand what had happened. They could not deny the miracle. They could not claim that Peter and John were highly qualified teachers of the law or one of their own. Peter and John were fishermen. Nothing against fishermen. But they weren't schooled. They weren't trained as those Sadducees were. They weren't medical doctors. They were just like you and me, going about their work, except Jesus had touched them. They had something that the leaders didn't. They had walked with Jesus the object of the scorn of those leaders. They couldn't deny a great and natural healing had occurred, but what could they do? They had to stop this kind of behavior from going on. It threatened their, their existence, really. So they ordered Peter and John to quit proclaiming the gospel. And that is when we read Peter's bold response. Well, you judge whether it's right to obey God or you. But we cannot help speaking what we have seen and heard. There was no good response to what Peter and John said. The men in their positions had urged the people to obey God and follow law. They, they were teachers of Scripture. And they had taught them, they tried to teach them the law. They had taught them to follow the law. They were actually oppressive in enforcing the law. Peter and John were doing the same thing, basically. But they proclaimed that Jesus was God incarnate. The leaders then resorted to threats and warnings. That's what happens. Their anger and resentment overflowed in their verbiage. But what did Peter do? What did John do with them? They went back to their friends, shared what had happened, and then they had a prayer meeting. They prayed, acknowledging the power of God. Read with me these verses in 29 through 31 of that chapter. Here's their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your spirit to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That prayer, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak. They committed themselves to God. They prayed for boldness. They knew the resistance. They knew those who were coming against them. They knew there were those who resisted what was happening, even though the person in the street rejoiced over their salvation, rejoiced over the healing of this man. Those in position, those who really should have had a walk with God, were fighting them, fighting what was happening, fighting God. They 
resorted and those threats. But what happened as a result of this prayer for boldness? The room they were meeting in was shaken by God's power. The Holy Spirit topped off their faith tank and they went out and shared the gospel with boldness. I would love to experience that shaking. I, it, it's a great thing when God moves in that way and that's part of my prayer each and every week that God would so infill this room, so infill these hearts that all of us would, would feel a shaking from being in the presence of Almighty God. When Isaiah was faced with God, he fell down before him and said, Oh, woe is me, for I am undone, for I have seen the hand of God. You cannot look upon God. You cannot see Him without it revealing your depth of sin, your need for Him. And so that's a, a prayer that I have prayed for myself. It would be terrifying and horrible, but yet I know if I can get that glimpse of God that Isaiah had, it would help change me, deepen me in the walk and the faith. And I pray that for you, actually. Peter and John, like I said, were normal people like you and me. The friends they talked to there in the room about what happened and prayed with were average people. They were trying to put bread on the table and clothes on the back of their children. Within themselves, they were fearful of being thrown in prison or otherwise receiving reprisal from the religious leaders. They were like you and me, but they could not and they would not stop telling people about Jesus. How can we become more like them? We don't have to go to Africa and be missionaries like Sue's parents did. Unless God calls you, then you better do it. You don't have to become a preacher like me and stand up each week and deliver God's Word. God uses ordinary people. There's a great song I like. I was by that. I'm not going to try to sing it. God uses ordinary people in ordinary life situations to show and tell others of Jesus Christ. He uses ordinary people to tell their story, much like Sue did earlier of a time that she faced surgery and faced horrible outcomes from that situation. But God healed and gave blessings and grandchildren. Telling their story. That's all Peter and John were doing. They had walked with Jesus. They had experienced Him. They had heard Him talking. And they had so much to share to the people and they would not be silenced by those in resistance. So how do we do that? How do we get there? First, we agree with God that we've fallen short. We agree with God that we've not shared His good news like we should. We thank God for His wonderful work through Jesus Christ in our life. We commit to serving Him as He has said to do. We pray that He will reveal Himself to our community and we ask for boldness that we would be His ambassador. Finally, we yield to Him, asking Him to make known to us what He would have us speak and to whom. We trust Him 
for what to say, and we say it. It'll be baby steps. You see, too often we listen to the enemy when we decide to commit ourselves, when we decide to get serious. We'll, we'll overdo it, really. You know, a child that's learning to walk, they are learning. They stumble, they fall. They take little baby steps. They don't run a marathon. It takes years of growth and training. But too often, we as Christians, and especially because we're adults and we have intelligence and experience and maturity, we believe we can take a bigger bite of the pie than we should. And we inflate it in our minds so big, and we listen to the enemy telling us what, needs, what that task is, that we shrivel up in cowardice because we know we're not up to that huge task when all God's wanting us to do is to say something to the one He tells us to say it to. It can be, why don't you join me for church? I'm enjoying it. We're having good music. We're having, we're having the Word of God. I really think you'd enjoy it. We got good friends. Friends that'll give you a hug when you need it. Friends that'll stand by you. I hope you'll come with me. Or we've got an event coming up in a couple of weeks where we're praising God for all the good things He's done. It's going to have some great food and great music. I wish you'd come with me and join me. It doesn't take a big elaborate thing. It doesn't take knocking on every door in your neighborhood to start out. It takes when you're sitting at work, maybe on break, and someone is talking about problems in their life that you just say, boy, I had a problem once. And then you go on to tell the story about how God met the need. That will speak off into people's hearts so much more than if you try to beat them up with a bunch of Scripture to start out. So taking baby steps, there's a, there's a song I like to do. I may have done it here before, may do it again, called Step of Faith. And it says God does allow baby steps just so long we're stepping in His direction. That's the important part. It's not whether, if you need to give, it's not whether you give thousands of dollars, it's whether you give 10 cents in faith, faithfully. It's whatever God calls. It's starting out committed to God, faithfully obeying Him each and every day, each and every step of the way. And part of that is that sharing. When you feel that urging, when you feel that my name come in your mind, and you think, I ought to call so-and-so, and then you pick up the phone and do it. How are you doing today? Just showing care and love. Those are steps to start. Yes, eventually God will lead you as you commit to Him and as you know to share more. But don't let that stop you. Take that baby step in faith. Too often we're defeated because we listen to the enemy tell us the task is too big and that we can't handle it. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, He can handle it through us. Each one of us can say, like the song we love says, I once was lost, 
but now I'm found. I was here, but now I'm there. I was in this situation, now I'm in this way. Amazing grace. I'm found by His amazing grace. Stand with me. We're going to close with amazing grace. We're going to sing that great hymn. That hymn was penned by a slave trader who got convicted about the treatment of those slaves. He realized the debt that he had fallen to. That's why he can talk about being such a wretch that didn't deserve salvation. He was a man who realized he wasn't worthy of God's grace. But regardless of his condition, he still called out and God saved him. He was a man like you who was lost, but was found by the love of Jesus Christ. As you sing praise for God through for your salvation, I hope that in your heart you'll talk to Him, that you'll yield your life to Him, that you say, God, I've fallen short. I want to talk to somebody this week. I want to talk to somebody today. Let me know who to talk to, Lord. Help me know what to say because of your amazing grace.